I'm going to begin by talking a little bit about Josephine Bakita. She's a Sudanese-born woman, uh, late 18th century, who was kidnapped at age seven by Arab slave traders, and for the next 12 years of her life was traded uh, amongst four different kind of brutal slavers. And the trauma of her young life was so severe that she actually forgot her real name. Bakita is a, a name given to her by one of the slavers who owned her. And uh, they gave her this mark so that she wouldn't escape. That was uh, 114 different kind of intricate patterns carved into her skin. Uh, and then they threw salt in the wound so that it wouldn't heal without scarring. Uh, at, one, at some point in her later life, one of her owners was trying to move back to Sudan. And there were some complications in the travel, so they left her with the Kenosian sisters in Venice. And uh, later his wife came back to kind of claim her and bring her back to their household. And she refused to go. And the Kenosian sisters uh, also refused to let her go. Ended up going to the local authorities in Venice and she was freed. So then immediately upon being freed, she chose to stay and be a sister with the Kenosians. And uh, was baptized and accepted into the order. And actually received First Communion from uh, Giuseppe Sarto, who later became Pope Pius X. And for the next 42 years of her life, she just worked a very humble uh, life as a, as a cook and sacristan and portress for the Kenosian sisters. And she was just kind of marked by simplicity and holiness uh, and, and became a saint shortly after her death. Uh, why, did I, why I talk about Josephine Bakita? Because Job in today's reading says we're just all slaves longing for the shade, that life on earth is a drudgery. I think this speech from Job comes immediately after uh, his buddy Eliphaz for the previous two chapters has been talking to Job. He's like, obviously, Job, you've been punished by God because you've done something horribly wrong. You've sinned in some way. So God has taken away all his blessings and punished you. He's like, so figure out what the sin was and reform and you'll get your blessings back. Uh, and, and Job is obviously just refusing to accept this critique uh, because Eliphaz is, is falling into kind of the same uh, spirituality that, that is everywhere in the ancient world and actually still in our world today in many places. Uh, we call it the health and wealth gospel. It's that if you're a good person, then God's going to give you a lot of blessings in this life. And if you're a terrible person, then God's going to punish you in this life. You just have to look at the world to realize that that's just not true. And so Job's looking at the world, looking at his own life and saying that that's just not true. Uh, so that's why it, his, the first reading appears to be just Job complaining about life. But really, he's critiquing this kind of health and wealth gospel, you could say. Uh, so he says, is not man's life on earth a drudgery? The word that uh, Job uses here for drudgery is the Hebrew word for hard service. It's usually used in the context of military service. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually uh, translates it as campaign uh, so why is that relevant? Because Job's saying that when a, when a general goes to battle, where does he put his most skilled warriors, his most skilled soldiers? He puts them in the most vulnerable and dangerous position uh, because that's how you win the battle. You don't keep your skilled warriors back away from, away from the, the dangerous spots. You'll never win with your, with your weak soldiers there. Uh, and if this is the case in the spiritual life, then this has to be, or if this is the case in the kind of the natural world, this has to be the case 
in the spiritual life. So the Lord uh, puts into hard service. He puts trials in the lives of those whom he can trust to bear the weight of those trials. So when we suffer, it's just the Lord, in a sense, entrusting us uh, to suffer well. He's not going to put enormous amounts of suffering upon the weak who don't have uh, kind of spiritual life to handle it, who will despair. And so Job sees himself as um, kind of the righteous man who the Lord is allowing to suffer because he knows that he can handle his suffering. But in the midst of all that, Job uh, puts forth this prote- profound cr- critique, but it doesn't actually help him. Uh, he finds no consolation in it. He just continues on and keeps complaining. He says, My days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle. They come to end without hope. Uh, so the weaver's shuttle, for those of us in the 21st century, I don't know, maybe some of you sew and know things about weaving, but uh, the shuttle is, if you're sitting in front of a big loom, you've probably seen them in museums, there's a bobbin on which you put the thread, and it kind of slides back and forth, uh, and it's called a shuttle. So it, as it slides back and forth, you kind of, weave it into the, uh, the perpendicular threads as they go along and, and you weave your, your blanket or whatever you're making. And for someone who's skilled at that, it's just a very swift back and forth, back and forth. So Job is kind of describing his life as this kind of mundane, uh, monotonous passing of days. Uh, and even swifter than, than the weaver shuttle because the weaver takes breaks from time to time and we continue to have to wake up every single day and live this life. And after a while, it just begin, becomes kind of this monotonous passing of time. Uh, and the question eventually becomes for Job, as for many people, like, will I ever see happiness again? It's kind of the question. But I think we look with that question to the second reading, because Paul kind of gives us the answer to this. And he says, although I'm free in regard to all, I've made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. So Job expressed that all men are slaves who come to their end without hope. And Paul uh, proclaims that he's free in everything. He's free. But he's made himself a slave for Christ uh, in order to win souls. So how does Paul make himself a slave? He chooses Christ's will over his own. From the moment of his conversion, Paul never takes into consideration his own will again. Everything he does is for the Lord. He says, no longer do I live, but the Lord lives in me. Christ lives in me. He preaches to all those whom Christ calls him to preach to. Uh, even when he has this, this calling to go somewhere, he always prays about it and is often confronted by the Lord and told to go elsewhere. Uh, he says he becomes all things to all men. He doesn't even choose where he dies, but the Lord tells him where to go to die. Uh, so Job and Paul kind of give us two pictures. Job gives us this kind of life of someone who's enslaved to the world, who's kind of subject to the whims of this campaign of suffering that we live. Uh, And then Paul gives us this kind of picture of an evangelist who is free in all things, but enslaves himself to Christ in order that he can win uh, disciples. And this might be okay for Paul. You know, Paul... Paul's a pretty extreme case, but who's God to call us to be slaves to him? And I think we actually look to the gospel, to Jesus himself, to see kind of why, what what compels us to do this. I think it's because Jesus himself does it for us first. Uh, Jesus is God. 
He's omnipotent. He's totally free, perfectly free in a way that we can never imagine. But he becomes a slave in his life on earth in order that he can win our love. We see it in the gospel today. So Jesus is nonstop working from the beginning to the end of the gospel. He shows up to Peter's mother-in-law's house, heals her, and she rises and begins to serve them. But then immediately the whole village is there, uh, and he's casting out demons and, and healing the sick late into the night, and then doesn't even go to sleep. He might go, I mean, I think it says he goes to sleep for a little bit, then rises early to go and pray. And then the minute he gets to, to the mountaintop to pray, his disciples come and find him and say, hey, everybody's looking for you. And then, uh, and then he says, no, we will go on to the next village and do the same thing. And then the next village and do the same thing. And the next village and do the same thing. Because that's why he came. Uh, he says, for this purpose I have come. Elsewhere in the gospel, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So we ask, uh, you know, do our lives often feel like the weaver's shuttle, just the kind of monotonous day-to-day uh, of, this, of this world. You know, it could be in the hands of a skilled uh, weaver who, you know, the, the years just pass and, and we don't even realize how quickly they're passing. Or it could be the opposite where it's an unskilled weaver. So like, the, life is totally unpredictable and, and does, sometimes doesn't make any sense and it's, and it's slow and, and just brutal. Uh, but we're called to take those feelings of helplessness to Christ. He's the one who gives us meaning in the midst of our work. Uh, so we're bold in petitioning him because he loves us. But if we're going to petition him to br- bring meaning to our work, we have to actually be ready to continue to work for him and actually work harder. So what does uh, Peter's mom do when Jesus heals her? She immediately gets up and begins to serve. What does Paul do when he's knocked off his horse? He just spends the rest of his life relentlessly working uh, for the Lord. And then Josephine Bakita. She's such an interesting case because she's a slave for her whole life. And then she's freed from slavery and then immediately joins an order and does exactly the same thing she did as a slave for the next 42 years. Uh, But she does them out of love for God. So she's freed and then immediately makes herself a servant of the Lord. So Gregory the Great gives us a great quote on the spiritual life. He just says, You will not be able to keep what you do not give away. It's kind of the paradox of the Christian life. Uh, We're given faith from the Lord as a gift. And if we don't continue to give that away, we'll lose it. That's, That's just the way the Christian life works. So Christ is calling us out of slavery, uh, into sonship, into being children of God, in order that we can serve him and be free. So what does that look like for us? Uh, for some, it's, it's kind of a radical change of life. We see in the lives of the same, sometimes it's just radical uh, transformation. I would say in my, in my life, I was, I was pro- for my whole childhood, I was like kind of seeking out what job I could make the most money doing the least amount of work. That was kind of my life goal. <laughs> so that I have tons of free time to do the things that I wanted to do. Uh, and, and then I ended up being called to be a priest, which is pretty much a very different conclusion to my life than I was assuming when I was a kid. But for, but for many who already have your vocations, that it, just, it just becomes offering up those daily sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, and that's no less radical. Suffering comes in life. That's just the way it is. You know, sometimes life is like Job's life. Uh, it's just a drudgery. But we're called to actually unite those sufferings to the cross. And that's what gives them meaning. 
So we bring our suffering and addictions and and sadness and despair to the Lord, and he fills them with meaning uh, and redeems them. So Christianity is not the health and wealth gospel. You know, no matter what you see in the televangelists, we don't live in the health and wealth gospel. Uh, Jesus doesn't take away our suffering when we're Christians. Actually, as Christians, we're probably going to suffer more because we're those skilled soldiers that the Lord can entrust with great suffering um, who, who actually can endure it. So we bring it to the Lord, and he gives us the joy in the midst of all of that suffering uh, and makes us witnesses to a world that just doesn't understand it. Our world has, is so confused and conflicted about suffering. We just, our whole goal in our society is to get rid of suffering. That's why we invest enormous amounts of money uh, into painkillers and antidepressants uh, because we just hate suffering. And so we have to be witnesses to actually bringing meaning into it. Uh, a young student asked Josephine Bakita near the end of her life, what would you do if you were to meet your captors? And she responded, if I were to meet those who kidnapped me, even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if those things had not happened, I would not have been a Christian and a religious stay. So like Josephine Bakita, uh, we make Christ our foundation in everything. And we, in a sense, enslave ourselves to him because it's only then that we will be joyfully free. Amen.